Hey, Crime Sound listeners, and welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And this week, we have a Crime Salad Halloween special just for you, and it covers the murder of Martha Moxley. A case happening in 1975 in a town called Greenwich, Connecticut. The town hasn't seen a crime like this since the 40s. Martha was a 15-year-old girl living in a ritzy neighborhood. Everyone was pretty wealthy. She just moved into a beautiful house with her parents the previous year. And across the street lived two boys named Michael and Tommy. Michael was also 15, the same age as Martha. And then there was Tommy, who was 17. And they both lived without many roles. They basically could do whatever they wanted. And they often got into trouble and often got away with it. And it was a challenge raising these rebellious kids, also because their mother passed away. So their father was raising the boys alone while working long hours along with their other siblings. And just a little random fact about this family is that they were related to the famous Kennedys through marriage. But this story starts on October 30th, the night before Halloween, and Martha Moxley and her friend named Helen planned to pull pranks around the neighborhood, which was commonly called Mischief Night or Devil's Night. There's other names for it, but types of these pranks would be ringing doorbells, toilet papering houses, and smashing pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns. But being 15, it was always a convincing battle between your parents, trying to convince them enough to let you go hang out with your friends. And Martha was trying to convince her mom to go out that night. It was the night before Halloween. It was a Friday, and she really wants to go hang out with her friends. So she promised to be home by 9.30, 10 o'clock, and her mom eventually agreed. And this night was a very cold night. While running around the neighborhood with her friend, they ended up at the Skakel house, which is Tommy and Mike's house. This was the house in the neighborhood that all the kids went to, mainly because it was usually unsupervised. However, the father did hire a tutorer who was a 23-year-old guy named Kenneth. He was living in the house to help take care of them to keep the boys in line, and he was getting paid about $400 a month and also free room and board. But on this night, he didn't pay too much attention to the rebellious teens. He was inside watching TV, relaxing, but what more can you do? These boys were always getting into trouble. It was a challenge. While at the house, the friends were listening to music while sitting in a car in the driveway, smoking marijuana and drinking. And it probably wasn't obvious to everyone, but Michael had a huge crush on Martha. But he was a little shy expressing how much he liked her. It wasn't that big of a surprise because Martha was beautiful. She was smart. She was making straight A's and was very popular and even was voted best personality in middle school. And everyone just liked Martha. Tommy, on the other hand, wasn't as shy as Michael when it came to making moves. He was often flirting with Martha anytime they were together. And as for Michael, being the younger brother and the one who was head over heels for this girl, was probably feeling some type of way. 
And there was always a sibling rivalry between these two brothers, constantly. But for some reason, they were often hanging out with the same people, so they were kind of always together. Tommy, being older, often picked on Michael, teased him, and always tried to get under his skin. And being that was usually the case, Michael might have been thinking that he was talking to Martha just for this reason, and just a way to hold this above Michael. Now, during this time, Martha was a 15-year-old girl in the 70s, so she kept a diary, and she wrote in it pretty often. And the cover you can find on the internet, and we'll also show it on our website, but it has like 70s patterns and flowers on it. And Martha talks about things from her day to day at school, what happened, and she talks about her boyfriend Peter and her relationships with her friends, and a lot about these two Skakel boys. She wrote expressing about how both boys liked her, but she wasn't thrilled about either one of them, having pretty much mixed feelings for Tommy, who was always flirting with her, and she described Michael as a complete jerk for the most part. So while the teens were at the Skakel house, it was getting pretty late and everyone left to go home. One of the kids did offer for everyone to come over to his house to watch a movie at his place, but Martha promised her mom that she would be home soon, so she was on her way. Now there's a different side to the story here that Michael made a big deal about Tommy and Martha flirting and things got physical and Martha stormed off. She walked home to avoid the argument by herself. But what I first said was the original storyline. And what you'll soon come to realize is this story seems to be changing all the time, so keep an open mind. As her mom was waiting for her to come home, she heard the neighbor dog barking, thinking she must be walking through the yard. She checks the time and it was now 9.30 p.m. So she just continued with her night and hours went by. She checked her room and Martha wasn't in her bed. She wasn't in the house, and it was now 2 a.m., and her mom was beginning to get really worried. It just wasn't like her to not come home, or at least call to check in if she was wanting to stay at a friend's house. So at 3 a.m., she calls the McGuire's house. It's a friend of Martha's. Her name's Sheila, hoping that maybe she was with her. And Miss McGuire woke up to the unexpected phone ringing. Surprised, it was Dorothy, Martha's mom, calling to see if her daughter was there. Miss McGuire checked the house, checked Sheila's room, but she wasn't there. She woke up Sheila, but Sheila had no idea where she could be if she wasn't home. So Dorothy called the police to report her daughter hasn't come home. So the police did a search in the dark neighborhood and came up with nothing. She did call another friend named Helen. Helen was the girl who was with her earlier at the Skakel house that night. And she even said that she walked home. But other than that, she had no clue where she could even be. So it was now the next morning. The search throughout the neighborhood continued, and Martha's friend Sheila was on her way over to help her mom with the search. When she saw something in the trees, something that caught her eye, she walked closer and saw that it was a lifeless, naked body. As soon as she saw this, she ran inside the Moxie's home, screaming in a panic that she found a body in the trees. Martha was then found dead beaten severely and her hair was matted in blood you could barely even recognize who she was 
There were bloody pieces of a golf club scattered across the entire yard. And investigators knew that this was the weapon because she was stabbed in the neck with the broken handle of the golf club piercing through the other side of her neck and then placed under a tree in the yard where she was beaten more. And this is most likely where her attacker really got a good hit and shattered her skull. At the time, this was the wealthiest town in America. There really wasn't anything this brutal that ever happened around here, at least not for decades. And actually, there weren't any big crimes since the 1940s or so. The police who were called to the scene were not very experienced or properly trained at all for a homicide. They actually were pretty clueless and disorganized when it came to their procedures. But at the same time, it's kind of understandable because you can be taught this stuff, but they never really got any hands-on experience doing it. So the whole thing was kind of a shock, and I, I really just feel they were out of their element. It was known that an investigator mentioned a police dog was on the scene, licking up the blood that was on the ground. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash crime salad. And a number of people who weren't trained were in and out of the crime scene, potentially destroying valuable evidence for the case. There was also no DNA analysis or any physical evidence saved from the crime scene whatsoever, which really makes this case one of the toughest ones to crack in court for years to come. And you have to remember that this happened in the 1970s, so a lot of the technology that we have for DNA didn't really exist then. And along with that, sometime during the investigation, the shaft of the golf club that was impaled into Martha's neck just randomly went missing, which this could have been one of the most telling pieces of evidence. So someone would have had to have removed it from her neck at some point of the investigation. And they never found out what happened to this piece of evidence. I mean, this could have been really important evidence. It could have had fingerprints and DNA and everything, and it was just gone. But other pieces of the golf club were left behind. They were able to tell it was a six iron and they could tell who made the club and what brand it was. So what's interesting is the same brand of clubs were in the shed owned by the Skagels. And in the golf bag, of course, there was no six iron. The six iron was missing, which was the same club that was used to brutally beat Martha. So the Skagel boys were technically always people of interest, more on the inside of things, but they were never arrested. And it's mentioned that because of their relationship to the Kennedys and their wealth and their power, 
they never were treated as the main suspects, which kind of blows my mind here. Now, everyone that spoke to Martha was pretty much interviewed by the police. Two of those people that were questioned by police were Tommy and Michael. It was mentioned that Tommy was one of the last people to have been seen with Martha that night. But at the time, he was cleared by police pretty quickly. There was suspicion that it could have been the tutorer who was living with the Skakels. And it was also mentioned that it could have been an attack by someone unknown, a man outside of this community who murdered her because she was simply alone. And so after the loss of their daughter, Martha, the Moxley's life was completely flipped upside down. And living in this house where they used to see her every day was just so unbearable. And I couldn't even imagine looking out the window, knowing that she was murdered in their own backyard. So they ended up packing their things and moving away. And since her murder, this case just grew cold. In 1997, this case was looked into further by a former investigator who worked for the LAPD, who took on the case. His name was Mark Furman, and he actually wrote a book about this case called Murder in Greenwich. He was extremely interested in this case because of the lack of police investigation in such a wealthy community. And on top of that, he was given a secret report written by a private investigator hired by Mr. Skakel. It was created in 1995 and it was locked away for the private records in a security firm. It described the Skakel boys and their mental health in multiple interviews that were done covering the Moxley murder and where they were and what happened that night. So around this time in 1995, DNA was now being used as an important tool in forensic testing. So possibly this is why the private investigator was hired on the case. Maybe to set up to play their cards right if ever accused in the future. We don't know, but just a thought. In the reports, both of the boys ended up adding important details to their alibi and changing things up just a bit, where Tommy explained that he and Martha walked to her house and messed around, and then he left for home around 9.50, which he never mentioned any sexual interactions at this point before. But he did say that they did walk home from the beginning. He just left out the sexual part. And Michael also changing his story just a bit, where he said after hanging out at home at around 11.30 p.m., he was walking to Martha's, climbed a tree by her house to get Martha's attention. He was even shouting her name and throwing pebbles to try to wake her up. And while still sitting in the tree, he was masturbating. So for the most part, both of their alibis were well-crafted, pretty much to cover every possible outcome of the prosecution, especially if DNA ever came into this case. And being that it was thought out ahead of time, it was believed that with the help of their own lawyers, it could possibly cover up any of the tracks that they may be left behind. And it kind of makes me wonder if the golf club handle that seemed to have just vanished, I wonder if it was secretly taken by a hired police officer to hide any evidence. And I feel like just anything's possible in this case. And this is probably not true, but just a thought that we both had. So I feel like that it's so obvious that Michael killed her out of anger of his brother and Martha's relationship. 
The investigator's theory claims that during the night he followed her home as she was walking alone and attacked her from behind with a golf club and then dragged her into the trees, pulled her underwear down and started to masturbate. But really, still to this day, there's never been any confession. So after the murder, nothing was normal for even the Skakels. Michael was sent to the Elan School in Poling Springs, Maine, which aids children with mental health and substance abuse problems. It was said on multiple accounts that Michael blurted out during a group therapy session that he had killed Martha. However, when asked, the school owner denied that that ever happened. And as far as justice for Martha, it wasn't until the year 2000 that the case reopened. And it was with the help of Mark Furman, who had brought a few telling points to the table, pointing to Michael as the leading suspect in murdering Martha. With the evidence that pointed to Michael being guilty, he was convicted in 2002 of murdering Martha and was sentenced to 20 years to life. Being that at the time of the murder, he was 15, he was charged as a minor. But in 2013, he was granted a new trial by a Connecticut judge and he was released on a $1.2 million bail. And the timeline as far as court goes, there's a lot of things that do go on, but we won't go into too much detail just because it's not that interesting. You can always look it up online. So it's just crazy. Just 11 years he spent in jail for murdering Martha and he was released. So if you would like to let us know if you feel Martha got the justice she deserved, or if you feel like Michael is guilty or not, or any other theories that you may have, I feel like this case is so interesting and you can really dig deep just in your own thoughts. But for now, this concludes this week's episode. And be sure to check out pictures of this case that we'll have available to view on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. And we'd also like to credit our sources, CNN, New York Times, New York Post, E-Online, Oxygen, and the History Channel. And if you would like to help support Crime Salad, follow us on Himalaya and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find Crime Salad. This really helps us move up in the charts so listeners can get their hands on Crime Salad Podcast. And remember to follow us on Instagram. Be sure to tell a friend about us. And most importantly, thank you so much for your support and listening to us. See you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, love, all the pain.